Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. This morning, I know this is a worship service, and we're not supposed to have fun. This is a very I've had fun this morning. You know, I've just enjoyed the music and the um, the uh, uh, just being together and worshiping together. So thank you for uh, bringing a little joy to my life. <laughs> You've done so well. Uh, this morning we start a sermon series that'll take us somewhere into uh, December, up right around Christmas time. And uh, if uh, this ser- series has a title, it's, uh, it's this, uh, Who is this guy? Who, who is this guy? Um, you, you probably remember, if you don't, I'll tell you the story anyway, um, about the time that Jesus was with his disciples and they were next to a lake and uh, they got in the boat and started off across the lake and Jesus fell asleep in the boat and the storm came up and the waves got higher and the wind started to blow harder and the disciples got sort of bent out of shape because there was water coming in the boat and they were starting to sink. And so they ran and they found Jesus. I don't know how you run in a boat. They went and they found Jesus. You should never listen to yourself. But uh, they went and they found Jesus and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And if you read the scriptures there in like Mark 4 or something, um, they said, Jesus... Don't you care that we're drowning? No. They didn't go up and say, Jesus, the the boat is sinking. Let us save you. They didn't say that. Jesus, you might drown. They didn't say that. What were they thinking? Well, he'll just walk across the water anyway. I mean, there's no point. But they go up and say, Jesus, we're going to die. And you don't care. You don't care. So Jesus gets up on deck, and he looks at the wind and the wave, and, and he looks at it, and he says... Peace, be still. I don't think so. I think he said, wind, waves, cut it out. You're, you're, you're bothering my boys here. Just be quiet. All right. And the scripture says that the storm ceased, the, the, the waves subsided, the wind subsided, and, and uh, the, the disciples are sitting there, slack-jawed, looking at each other. And they asked themselves this question. They said in their best King James Greek, <laughs> What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Or they said, who is this guy? You know, we thought we knew what we were signing up with. He comes into our lives. He says, follow me. We leave everything. We follow him. We see the miracles. We hear the teaching. We see the opposition with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeah, all that. But when he starts telling the wind and the waves what to do, who is this guy? You see, there's nothing in my head that will embrace what just happened. It's not like I can go to the filing cabinets in my brain and go under uh, commands the wind and the waves and pull out the drawer and find a list of people who've done that before. Not even AccuWeather can, can accomplish this. And so um, they're, they're, they're looking at Jesus and saying, nothing computes here. He doesn't line up with, with what we've ever thought before. Who is this guy? 
And I suggested a moment ago that that's really the question for the Gospel of Mark. Who is this guy? It's actually the question for the entire Gospel stories. As you know, the New Testament begins with four books. They are each a, um, a description of the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, they're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one is basically in its own way answering the question, who is this guy? Because the disciples, as they walked with Jesus, never quite got it. If you've been here for some while, you, you remember that, oh, I think it was about six years ago we finished up. But we were doing a, a sermon series through the Gospel of John. And what we saw there was that a major theme in John's Gospel is what does it mean to believe in Jesus, which is another way of saying what does it mean when you find out who Jesus really is. Remember in John's Gospel that uh, at the very beginning, Jesus turns the water into wine, and at the end of chapter 2 it says, and everybody believed in him. Everybody, the big crowds believed in Jesus. And then he goes on to say, but Jesus didn't believe in them because he knew what was in their hearts. They were believing for the miracles. They were saying, oh, great, this, this is going to be really fine, a lot of, lot of uh, fun and entertainment with this Jesus guy. And so they were, they were sort of believing in a very shallow, humanistic kind of, of belief system. They were believing in Jesus. But uh, John is, is pointing out to us, Jesus didn't believe in them because that's not what we're talking about because you don't know who Jesus is yet. You get into where Jesus feeds the, the, the multitude and they uh, decide this is really like a, a, a neat thing. Why don't we make this guy king? If he can multiply loaves and feed us, uh, we'll, we'll have you know, talk about funding Social Security. Like, this is really a good thing. So let's get Jesus, make him king. He can keep multiplying the loaves and, uh, and we'll be on easy street. So they come after they've been fed and they come to Jesus and say, we want to make you king. They don't understand. They don't know who this guy is. And so Jesus says to them, he says, look, I know you're interested in, in food because I multiplied the loaves, but here's what's really happening. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, there's no life in you. You can't live. Wait a minute, Jesus, you must be speaking allegorically and figuratively. Why don't you explain yourself? And so Jesus said, fine, I'll put it in terms you can understand. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life. You, you just can't live unless you do. And the scripture says that a lot of folks left him at that point. Till only the disciples, the 12, were left there, and Jesus said, are you, are you leaving too? Peter, to his credit, said, where, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Then at the, outside the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus who had died, he was buried in the tomb, and Jesus comes uh, and is having this conversation with the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and um, he's talking about, well, you know, Lazarus is going to be okay. He's going to live. Yes, Jesus, we know that theologically at the end of the age, there is a resurrection. And someday out there, uh, Lazarus will be raised. Jesus said, no, you, you, you don't know who I am yet. I am the resurrection and the life. See, and, and, and they suddenly started to get a glimmer of who this guy is. But the disciples still don't understand it because when Jesus is crucified, they hightail it out of there. They, they lock themselves in a room. They're scared to death. And so they lock the door and they shutter the windows and they're afraid somebody's going to find them there. Thomas is out doing something. I think he's making a pizza run. And Jesus shows up and uh, uh, he says, you know, peace be with you, my peace I give to you, all that kind of thing. Next week, 
He comes again, and Thomas, who wasn't there, said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. And so Thomas goes, uh, Jesus goes to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, you see the nail prints in my hands? You see the, the imprint of the, of the spear in my side? Go ahead and touch it, Thomas. I know you're, you're that kind of guy. You've got to have evidence. Go ahead, Thomas. And what happens? Thomas falls at the feet of Jesus, and he says what? My Lord and my God. End of story. That's where we've been heading all along. John even tells, he says, these things are written so that you can believe and be just like Thomas, that you can believe and, be, and, and by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, you can have life and life everlasting. I mean, th this is the point of the Gospel of John. Luke does the same thing a little bit differently. In Luke's Gospel, the disciples, of course, you know, they're, they're still befuddled. They don't quite get it. Uh, even after the resurrection, they're starting to get an inkling of what's going on. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples come up to Jesus and they, and they say, Jesus, is it at this time that you will restore Israel? Here's what they mean. Jesus, now do we get it? Now do we get the thrones? Now do we get the glory? Now do we get to kick the Romans out? Now do we get to exalt Israel? Now do we get to be judges overall? Now isn't it the time that everybody sees how great we are? See, they still didn't quite understand who Jesus is. And the reply Jesus gave to them was, well, not quite, guys. You don't quite understand it. But you go to Jerusalem, and you tarry there, and you wait there. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll know, and then you'll become my witnesses. And then you'll have a grasp on who I am. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he preaches in Jerusalem, and he tells the folks what the gospel is, and it climaxes with, with Peter. At the end of this sermon, he says, And God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. That's who he is. He is Lord, and he is Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, same thing. The disciples don't quite get it until they meet with Jesus on the, on the hillside in Galilee. And Jesus comes. He says, you know, like all authority is given to me, I haven't surrendered any of it. I'm not going to share it with anybody, but it's all my authority. And the Scripture says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They finally got it, who this Jesus is. So the whole Gospel narratives you, can be viewed as answering the question, who is this guy? And that's what I want for us to look at for the next several weeks. Who is this Jesus guy? Because that's the question that will transform your life. How you answer that question will change how you live. You see, if you answer that question, you say, well, who is this Jesus guy? Well, he's a great teacher. He's just, he's just a really great teacher. Well, um... That's, that's nice, but if he's a great teacher, all you need are the teachings. You don't need the teacher. If all Jesus did was come to give us great teachings, you don't need Jesus anymore. What do I mean by that? Let me illustrate it. <laughs> Please don't ask why, but lately I've been reading up on Euclid's geometry. Any mathematicians here? Okay, I got one hand, but he's a nice guy. He'll let me fake it. So I'm reading up on, on Euclid's geometry, and, and Euclid lived about 2,600 years ago. And you, you remember how much you hated high school geometry? That was Euclid. He's the guy who came up with that. He, you know, all these theorems and postulates and axioms and proofs and, and triangles and circles and inscribed and circumscribed and all these other, other kinds of things. And, you know, when you couldn't figure out the interior angles of a parallel line, that's, uh, a parallel lines, that's because Euclid wrote these things down. So he wrote a book called The Elements of Geometry by Euclid, 
and uh, it, it, it's with us still. You, you still study it. If you study geometry, you're studying Euclid. Now, here's the thing. You don't need Euclid. You don't need Euclid anymore. I don't know of any mathematician who says, I have a personal relationship with Euclid. I have Euclid in my heart. I've never heard any mathematician ever go around singing, every day with Euclid is sweeter than the day before. <laughs> have we hit a low point right here? <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, you don't need Euclid to have the teachings of Euclid. And if all Jesus is, is a teacher, you don't need Jesus. Now, if you don't need Jesus and you don't have Jesus, all you have is his teachings, you're all by yourself. You're, you're still figuring it out on your own. Let me, let me skip to the end here. But if you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior, if you know that he happens to be the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and the head of the body of the church, if you happen to know that and you are connected to that, and that's not just something you know in your head, but you live out in your heart, now you're not on your own and you're not alone. See, so now when you come to make decisions in life, you're, you're not just trying to give it your best guess. You've got the Lord of the universe guiding and leading you. Yeah, we still stumble and we search around and we make mistakes, but ultimately we are held in the hand of Christ. And he never lets us go. That's a big difference than just having a teacher. That's having a Savior. That's having a Lord. That's having one who is the Son of God. So this question about who is this guy is a supremely important question. Don't let folks tell you that Jesus was just a religious leader. Save us from religious leaders. We don't need more religion. We need Jesus. We need the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. The big difference between the two is the difference between living by a principle and living by a relationship. It's the difference between having a religion and having a personal knowledge of who Jesus is and working in your life and in your heart. So that's, that's what I want to suggest to you uh, to start out this morning is that that question, who is this guy, referencing Jesus, who is this guy, is the most important question you can ask. And until you have answered it, you're not ready to live. Not really. You're not ready to live with an eternal dimension in your life. So we turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And this is where Jesus sort of brings this question to the forefront. The disciples, of course, have been walking with him. They've seen miracles and stuff like that. And it's sort of, you can see Jesus sort of saying, well, guys, it's time to focus here. It's time to give this a little structure, to give it a framework so, you, so we have some kind of understanding here. Now, understand, normally the students would ask the rabbi questions. Um, it was Socrates who would ask questions of his students, but in, in Jewish circles, it was usually the students who asked the questions. So for Jesus to ask this question, it's not like he doesn't know. It's not like he says, guys, I need a focus group. You know, I, need, I need to take a poll to figure out what my message should be so I can, I can tailor it to get more people on my side. No, he, he was saying, guys, I want you to think about who the people say I am, and I want you to think about who you say that I am. So that, that's what's going on here. So Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, what's the general idea here? Now, the disciples start thinking this through, and they say, you know, if we're going to understand Jesus, 
we better put it in terms we can, we, we can understand. And so they said, well, Jesus, there's some people, and they say, you're John the Baptist. Okay. Um, John the Baptist was like a really cool um, celebrity-type figure in, uh, in, in that day. So when they said, you're, you're John the Baptist, they were saying, you know, you, you, you're really stepping in the shoes of this rebel guy who's, who's setting the world on fire. And then, well, he died, but now you're back. And some people think you're John the Baptist. Um, let, let me give it to you this way. And, and this I can never use again, all right? This is a sermon illustration that only works once. If I ever preach this sermon again, I can't use this illustration. So you're the only people who will ever get this illustration, all right? I want you to appreciate this. Don't break my heart. Here's the thing. If you want to know who John the Baptist was back then, he was Bernie Sanders. You know, he was this guy who was tweaking everybody's nose, and he was just stepping out of the norm, and, and the power structures didn't know what to do with him, and it was kind of like really cool to vote for him, and, and you, you really didn't understand what he was about because he's much smarter than you are, but you, you just, you know, you didn't know what to, what to do with him, and so when they, they, they were reacting to John the Baptist, sort of like, like a Bernie Sanders, you know, we, we have no idea about, wow, what entertainment value this guy has. All right. If you're a Bernie supporter, with, with apologies, I understand that, okay. But here's the deal. The disciples say, in, in our categories, in our mind, we have something called celebrity preacher. And that's what you are, Jesus. You're like a celebrity preacher. That's what people think you are. So, well, others think you're Elijah. Now, these were the Bible students. These were the people who enrolled in online Bible courses, and they had gotten their eschatology charts, and they were all set and ready to go. Uh, and they said, well, he, Jesus must be Elijah because we know Elijah must come before the Messiah comes. And therefore, Jesus is the preview of the, of the Messiah. You're, you're Elijah. You're fulfilling this category we have in our eschatological program, in our end-time chart. You're, you're the Elijah box, Jesus. That's where we fit you in because we have our, our minds. We have this category, and you have to fit into that category. And then they said, well, Jesus, there, there's other people, and they say that you're one of the prophets. Now, prophets are a category that we understand. Prophets speak the word of God for about 400 years or so now. There's been silence that, that God hasn't spoken through prophecy lately. Uh, but, wow, prophecy's back in you, Jesus, and we can see it, and you're one of the prophets. You fit into that category of prophet. Now, here's what they were doing. Everything they believed, they were saying the people believed about Jesus had to do with fitting Jesus into a category in their head already. Folks, Jesus won't fit into the categories in your head. You don't have a category big enough. There's no way to make Jesus fit your thinking. Which is, like, really cool because my thinking isn't big enough for it. So they said, you know, there's all... By the way, the interesting thing is, this is exactly what Herod said as well. John the Baptist had already been killed, and... Uh, uh, in Herod's palace, they were talking about, who's this Jesus guy? What's going on here? And the, the best they could do in the court of King Herod was they said, well, this Jesus, he's, he's John the Baptist, come back to irritate us, or, or he's Elijah or, or one of the prophets. King Herod came up with these, and the disciples said, well, if it's good enough for King Herod, maybe it'll pass the test. And so, well, Jesus, this is what other people are saying. I wish they had asked more people than King Herod. I wish the disciples had gone to those who were demon-possessed and had encountered Jesus, and Jesus had 
by the power of his word, driven demons out of those tortured souls so they were made whole again. And for the first time in a long time, the first time that they could remember, they were living lives that were complete and healthy again. I wish they'd gone to those demon-possessed people who had been delivered because if they said, who is this Jesus guy? They would have said, I don't know who he is. All I know is I used to be racked by the power of evil, and now I'm set free by the power of the word of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you all about it, but I can tell you what he did for me. He's a man who has power over the demons. I wish he'd gone to those who were lepers. You know, lepers back then, it, it, it wasn't Hansen's disease that we talk about now, but lepers back then had skin afflictions and because of contagion and so forth, uh, they were kicked out of the villages and they had to stay away from other people. And if they saw somebody coming down the road, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, you know, stay away from me, I'm a leper, don't come near. And they couldn't go near anybody else. And so they were outcasts of their, of their hometowns and their home villages. I wish they had gone and asked these lepers, say, who is this Jesus? And they would say, well, I'm not real sure who this Jesus is, but what I can tell you is... I used to walk down the street saying, Tom A, unclean. And now when I walk down the street, I say, hi, how are you? There's a big difference in how that works. And all I know is that it's the power of Jesus that did it in my life. I wish they had asked somebody like blind Bartimaeus. It's a little anachronistic here, but they asked uh, blind Bartimaeus and said, who is this Jesus guy? And he would say, well, I can't tell you all about it. All I know is that when I cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He came to me and he healed me. And I used to be blind, but I'm telling you, now I can see. I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is that the power of Jesus gives light to blind eyes. I wish they had asked these people. They would have gotten a different set of answers. Because so much of who we know about Jesus comes out of our personal experience and, and how he works in our lives. And so um, Jesus says, who, who do the people say that I'm? They, well, he The people say you fit into a pre-existing category. Jesus, who does not fit into pre-existing categories, then said to them, this is uh, uh, verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? The Greek language has a way of emphasizing words by, by the word orders. It has to do with the grammar. And the technique and the, and the grammar of the Greek text here um, puts that word you in a position of emphasis. And so we, we would translate it in our first semester Greek class, if, if, if we were to do so. We would translate it something like this. But how about you? What about you? I know what the other people say. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Because the question of who Jesus is ultimately is a personal question that you have to answer. So who do you say that I am? And Peter doesn't surprise us much. He may have been speaking as a spokesman for the, for the other disciples. I don't know, did they get together like Huey, Dewey, and Louie and just sort of buzz... Does anybody get that? Does anybody have grandchildren where you're forced to watch Donald Duck, Duck cartoons for hours on end? Well, if you're not, you will. But, but uh, you know, you get together and you huddle together. What, what do you think? Well, I don't know. Okay. Well, let's try this one. Let's try the Christ. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, yeah Christ will work. Try. Go, Peter. Peter, you do it, Peter. Okay. Or did Peter just blurt it out? <laughs> oh, I don't know. But Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. Now, when Matthew tells us this story, 
um, he adds something that helps us understand what that means. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Matthew goes on to tell us that at that point, Jesus said, blessed, you know, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He says, Peter, you would never have figured this out on your own. You would never get this. But my Father in heaven, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has opened your eyes and your heart and your mind and your understanding, and that's why you got it. It's a gift of God's grace that you would know who Jesus is. So Peter says, you're the Christ. Now, I don't think Peter understood what was going on here. We're pretty sure of that because as Jesus walks to the cross, you know, Peter's not quite on board with the program. When Jesus is crucified, Peter hightails it out of there. We'll see more about that in just a minute. But Peter didn't quite get all of it. But here's the neat thing about the grace of God. Not only do you not need to get all of it, you'll never get all of it. It's God's grace that saves you. I was a month shy of nine years old when I went forward in the First Baptist Church of San Diego, California. And as an almost nine-year-old, I, I must have said something like, I want to be baptized. Why? Well, because baptism is the signification of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and I want to identify my life with the existential reality of who Jesus is as a Savior of you. No, I want to be baptized because I have Jesus in my heart. What do you mean you have Jesus in your heart? Well, it just turns out that I have this overwhelming sense of the nearness of Christ and his personality. No. My Sunday school teacher told me if I asked Jesus in my heart, I'd be saved and go to heaven. <laughs> you know what the neat thing is? It's true. It just happens to be true. And so as a nine-year-old boy, all I said was, I want Jesus in my heart. Who is that guy? I don't know. He's just going to save me. They told me he would, and I believe it. I want to be baptized. And so as a child, all I knew was Jesus, would, he would save me. And then you get into those later years, the, you know, the adolescent years where you start to, um, uh, you know, sort of develop, uh, you know, beliefs that are yours, not your parents, and, you know, those, those kinds of things. And you're working through that, and you come to the end of those years, and you're trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life, you know, college, marriage, career, you know, what, all that. And you start to understand there comes a moment, and a very, very clear moment, when you realize Jesus is my Savior 100%, my, my future in heaven is absolutely assured. But you know something? It turns out he is wonderful, he is Lord. And it's just great. It's not like he wasn't Lord before. It's not like I didn't know he was Lord. It's just I suddenly discovered the wonder and the beauty of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has a plan for your life. He has a direction for you to live in. He has, he has guidance he wants to give you that your whole life can be, can be given to who Jesus Christ is. And he never deserts you, and you go through this life. And it's just a marvelous, marvelous, wonderful thing to, to come to realize. Jesus is Savior, and he's Lord. And you've grown just a little bit deeper in that knowledge of who Jesus is. And then you get into the young adult years, and you start to have a family and those kinds of things. And you start to understand, you know, this Jesus guy is pretty reliable. I can't tell you how many times I've been, been at my wit's end, and Jesus has come to me in the Word, in prayer, uh, by the power of the Spirit, and a word that was given by my brother or sister, this Jesus guy, he's like really reliable. And you always had a personal relationship with Christ. And, and from the moment at nine years of age, when you asked him into your heart to be Lord, uh, you know, to be your Savior, he always was that reliable. But you've just grown deeper to understand this is what it means that he's reliable. 
You know? And you start to love him more and more and more. And you hit the middle age years. Pray you don't, but you might go through that depression thing. You know, where life doesn't make any sense and it's really dark and, and oppressive and, and there's, you know, just the meaning and the drive and the energy of life goes out. And you get through that. You look back and you see God did it all. He carried you the whole way. The time after time when you were on the precipice of disaster, God brought you back in safety and you didn't even know it. And you come out on the other side of a depressive spell and suddenly you love Jesus and it's no longer because. Yeah. We love Jesus because as a child. I love Jesus because he saves me. I love Jesus because he helps me. I love Jesus because he blesses me. I love Jesus because he, he guides me. I love Jesus because, 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 because. And then you hit a spell of depression. And I'll tell you, that'll take every because out of your life that you ever had. But you come out on the other side and you know what? You love him more. You love him more. Just, just who he is. You don't need any more arguments. You don't need any more pleas. It's just enough that Jesus died, that he died for me. Here's what's happened. You start out and you just, you just have this, this opening sort of move. Jesus is Savior. as Jesus into my heart. All of it's true, but you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into who Jesus is. That was all in store for Peter. He didn't know it at that moment. I don't, maybe he thought he had the final answer to the final question. You know, jeopardy over. You know, the, you know, who, who, do you, who, who, who do I say you are? You're the Christ, right answer. Ding, 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 ding. You're the Christ, right answer. Now grow deeper and deeper and deeper in Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to look at who is this guy? so we can love him more and go deeper and deeper and deeper with him. Well, let's, let's, let's finish off the passage. Uh, <laughs> I just looked at my watch. It's 1 o'clock, <laughs> and I've been preaching for an hour. <laughs> we shall accelerate our sermon. Okay. He said, you're the Christ. Jesus says to him, he, uh, well, verse 30 says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. What's with that? Well, he tells us what's with that, all right? Because yeah, I know in your Bible, in, in, the, in the next paragraph of Scripture, there's a little open space, unless you have the real old King James Bible, open space with a title heading, and you think it's a new, new paragraph, a new story, but no, it's all one piece. It's all together. So Peter says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, well, don't tell anybody. And Peter, here's why. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. The Scripture says in verse 32, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know what that looks like. Peter takes aside Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who is absolutely sovereign, reigning from on, on high. He takes Jesus to one. How does that look? Jesus, you know this, this thing you just said? I have a chart here. My, my study Bible notes say that Messiah doesn't suffer. Okay. 
I, I get the suffering thing because we do a little bit of that. I get the rejection by the elders thing because we see that with the tribes and the Pharisees. But when you say must be killed, I'm, Jesus, you're off base a little bit here. So I'll let it go this time, Jesus, but don't let it happen again. Is that what Peter says to How do you rebuke Jesus? <laughs> so anyway, Jesus looks, looks around. He sees that the disciples are buying into this. And so he's, you don't even need to look at your Bible. You know what he says next. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You want to talk about a roller coaster life. Who do you say Jesus is? You're the Christ. Yeah, God showed you that. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Peter was growing. Peter was growing. He was going deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, the way Jesus explains that, he says, you know, Peter... <laughs> you're in the way here. Be, why? Because you're thinking the things of man and you're not thinking the things of God. In other words, Peter, you're trying to fit me into human categories and you're not allowing that God is free from who you are and what you think. God is much bigger than that. You're thinking the things of man. You need to think bigger things. You need to think the things of God. And when it comes to knowing who Jesus is, don't think the things of man. Think the things of God. See, the things of man will come to you. We, we illustrated one, you know, he's, he's a great teacher, that's all he is. But, you know, there, there's other things that will come to you that, that are the things of man. And that is when, when religion tries to answer the question. Because you'll ask, well, who is this guy, Jesus? And religion will say, Jesus is your Savior if... Jesus is your Savior if you're good... Jesus brings to you the power of the Holy Spirit if you're good. Jesus will bring you the comfort and the peace and the blessing if you're good, if you're faithful, if you are achieving a certain level of spirituality. Religion will tell you that Jesus is the Son of God, but he only comes into your life if you can earn the presence of Christ. Do not listen to the things of man. Here's what God says. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's what God does for us in Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Who is this guy? He is the grace of God incarnate. He's the love of God incarnate. He's the wisdom, the knowledge of God incarnate. He's the righteousness and holiness of God incarnate. And he comes to us out of the freedom of who he is, not out of the, uh, the, the, the merit and the achievement of who we are. So that's what I want for us to do in these next several weeks together, is to think about who is this guy, Jesus? Who is this guy? Because how you answer that question will radically transform your life, okay? Let's pray together, and I'll let you go. Father in heaven, I, I just thank and praise you that Jesus Christ is not limited by our minds or our understanding, but, Father, he is vastly, eternally who he is. Father, give us insight. Let your Holy Spirit be our teacher in these next several weeks together. Help us to understand who Jesus is that we might love him and adore him, serve him and follow him all that much more. Father, for the folks in this room, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you enable us to answer that question, who is this guy? He's my Savior. He's my Lord.
Father, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You came down.